stargazers. Welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take either a planet, an aspect, or even a romantic topic and investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek. I am so glad that you have joined my podcast today. So speaking of topics, as I'd mentioned last week, we do have a meaty topic that's continuing on this week. Uh, we are continuing on this week with the generational relationships and uh, precisely what each generation looks like and what each generation would crave synastry-wise or in relationships due to the socioeconomic as well as the political factors that the planetary alignments had brought in their times of living and also at their times of birth as well, too. So um, I just have to mention that, yes, this does blend a lot of generational astrology with synastry astrology this week. And I am very well, I do understand that these are, this what this is what makes it a very meaty topic and a very big topic at that too. Uh, the delineations that I am using for this week are basically those that are, have been used by statisticians. However, in research this week, I have come across an article. This one was from Thought Catalog, so if you are interested in, say, generational astrology, which is, it is a thing, uh, generational astrology basically goes even further into the generational planets and really the socioeconomic factors as well as what the generational planets bring about in one's life when it pertains to the generations, when it pertains to at least between three to 17 years uh, within one's life. But uh, if you are really interested, do take a look at Thought Catalog. The article was, you know, what Pluto, what Pluto indicates when it comes to your generation. And what they had mentioned in the catalog is that there are generations that are a bit different, uh, like my generation, which we'll be starting off with, are a little bit different because of Pluto's, you know, when Pluto's transit happened to be. Uh, when Pluto was within Libra as well, that was considered to be within Gen X, which I found to be interesting as opposed to millennial. But again, if you'd like to read more or look more into those implications, definitely check out Thought Catalog. And as I've mentioned, Stargazers, with any branch of astrology, uh, there's a million different resources out there. So with generational astrology, there's a million different resources definitely check it out. Um, it's, it, it is very interesting all the way around, like how the planets sometimes coincide or what particular phases of each of the generational planets, how they coincide with the time. My overall aim with this episode, as well as last week's episode too, is, you know, no matter how we want to view it, we do interact with different generations from time to time within many different relationships. Sometimes we fall in love with someone who might be a generation before us, or if you're like how I happened to be when I was 26 years old, uh, you might fall in love with somebody who might be two generations, maybe even three generations before you. 
Or you might also fall in love with somebody who's also a generation um, that's actually younger than you are. Um, either way, I, this is a great way or this is a great episode to try to understand that each generation's needs are very different because, you know, we whether we like it or factor it into our personalities or not, what we grow up with and the climate we grow up in really affects us as well uh, when it when it just comes down to being an individual and really um, to be a little more sensitive or to foster more of an understanding as well as a sensitivity of that and to build just better relationships between generations. Because like I said, um, sinister astrology, you know, whether we like it or not, we do interact with other generations and uh, sensory astrology also branches off into how we get along with our families. And we definitely deal with uh, different generational views when it comes to our parents or our grandparents or um, other individuals within our family. So it's definitely something to keep in mind. But with that said, let's go ahead and launch into, well, I'm going to, before I launch into this, I'm just going to say, if you guys can guess my age range where I'm around, definitely contact me on either Instagram at, Sand, at Sandra.Mysek, M-I-S-E-K, or at my email address at Mysek, M-I-S-E-K, dot Sandra at gmail.com, which I think should be quite fun in all honesty. But getting into my generation... Otherwise known as, I consider it as Gen Y um, Millennials. So um, these are the individuals who were born in the 80s, but grew up in the 90s. So um, there were a couple of individuals who were older than I am, like a generation before me, who were still part of Gen X. They might've been born as opposed to the sixties. They were probably also born in the seventies, also grew up in the eighties, fostered and thrived in the nineties. So um, I know the terms get a little bit wonky and kind of interesting, but um, my generation, like I said, born in the eighties, grew up in the nineties. And uh, the reason why I say Gen Y was that's what we were originally lumped as back in 2010, before we were lumped into the millennials. So, which I, I find to be rather interesting. And um, there, it depends on the statistician too. Some statisticians lump those who were born in the early 80s as still being Gen X, and those who were born like 1983 onward as millennial. It gets into an interesting debate all the way around. And like I said, then there's also thought catalog and, you know, what, what does Pluto have to say about this? But the, um, the climate for that time. So the astrological climate for that time was that Pluto was conjunct Saturn and was also in Libra. So unlike the previous generations, well, with exception to Gen X, unlike previous generations where they just had Pluto standalone in a sign, Pluto was conjunct another generational planet. And again, just like with Gen Xers where Pluto was conjunct Uranus and it kind of affects their political views and how they see the world. Uh, Pluto was conjunct Saturn. And I have to phrase Pam Gregory on this one. 
If you have not checked out Pam Gregory, definitely check out her YouTube channel. She is an amazing astrologer. Not only does she do predictive astrology, but she also, I feel like she's also a generational astrologer too, in the regard that she looks at, at our current generation and what the planets have to say about that. It, it's all very interesting. It's, it's seriously very interesting. But in March of 2020, I found it to be very interesting was that Saturn and Pluto were exactly the same. They were both conjunct except in Capricorn. But one thing that Pam Gregory had to say about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction was that Saturn, what we don't really recognize is that Saturn also represents the patriarchy and old world thought, old political world norms, really just adhering and stubbornly clinging on to the old and maybe possibly the outdated within a generation. Pluto in opposition or an op, you know, kind of in contrast is that of demolishing, destroying, um, with the destruction comes growth and transformation. But as I've also mentioned to power, but mainly, um, in the generation, demolishing, destroying. So what we have here is that we might, what Pam Gregory had said in March of 2020 was, we might see an upheaval of the patriarchy or see an upheaval of people who establish old world terms. Now, again, this was like right when the pandemic just struck and way before everything else kind of happened in 2020. So it was, it was really quite a profound moment. But what was interesting when I re, was re-looking at her interpretation of Pluto conjunct Saturn, it makes sense because in the 1980s, the one thing that I could think about that could really, really kind of epitomize the overthrowing of old world patriarchy was the fall of the Berlin Wall. And with kind of like with Black Lives Matter in 2020, where with Black Lives Matter, I know as a white woman, my consciousness was raised. And I know America's consciousness was really raised. And we were, you know, all of us had to learn and embrace and actually embrace discussions when it came to race and also institutionalized racism, even even if it was uncomfortable, it was just, it was brought to our attention. And actually, I feel like our consciousness was raised because for, for the first time ever in so many years, so many centuries, we actually embraced everybody, the whole collective of everyone, no matter the background, no matter the skin color, we were embracing each other. Um, in the 1980s, it was slightly different with the Berlin Wall. In the 1980s, um, I remember Ronald Reagan put a lot of pressure on Russia's current patriarchal figure at that time, or actually their current patriarchal figure at that time in the 1980s, and that was Gorbachev. And uh, Reagan kept pressuring Gorbachev to destroy the, the Berlin Wall because it was up for like four centuries, really. Um, but the biggest significance of the Berlin Wall was that it was 
representative of the Iron Curtain, which was just about as debilitating and about as oppressive as Nazism. In fact, with the the Iron Curtain, um, East even Eastern Europe was kind of getting into what Ronald Reagan was also um, saying, which is like, yeah, destroy that wall, because not only did what would it unite East Germany with Western Germany, but also the Eastern whole half of Europe with the rest of Europe, and no longer have this remnant of the Iron Curtain or this oppressive rule ruling. Well, I think Gorbachev kept, you know, stubbornly refusing. And I think it was finally what I remembered of it was that it was an act of the people, particularly of Berlin, where that wall came down. And again, it was like covered with graffiti and just, you know, just all forms of disrespect for good reason. But it was it was finally where that wall came down. Um, I actually had a former manager from when I was behind the chair. within my barber's license where she actually had a tote bag as well as shirts that mentioned I heart Berlin. This lady was also from Bulgaria and I could see where she would have that because it really, that whole destroying of the wall, even though she was a young girl in Bulgaria at the time, it really rocked her world and Bulgaria's world, as well as all of Eastern Europe's world, when that that wall finally came down. It was finally, you know, that that final, hey, the oppression is gone. So it was it was really a very momentous sort of situation. But for those who are born, you know, such as myself, for those who are born at this time, having not only Pluto conjunct Saturn, you know, overthrowing oppressive rule, is also positioned in Libra, which is all about fairness and everybody getting along. Kind of interesting that with my generation, we are very much like the boomers and the greatest generation with the same Saturn placement. Whereas boomers and greatest generation, they had Saturn in Libra as well. Same Saturn placement. It's amazing how each generation, though, is very different with how that Saturn position is expressed. You know, with the boomers, whereas their points of view are very much about dedication, hard sense of justice, uh, really having firm opinions. For Gen Y millennials, my generation, what it represented along with Pluto was that we were really trying very hard as a generation to hold people accountable for the inequalities that were happening that a lot of generations, a lot of the former generations just could not do. Now, there comes a double-edged sword with this one. So while we are we were the generation to focus on fairness, on equality, and really, again, there was a hard sense of justice, sure, But while we were really focusing more on like kind of being more equal towards everybody, um, great example for me, I'm just going to throw it out there. Hey, Shannon, if you hear me, shout out to you. But my cousin, when I was 12, came out. And let's just say it really rocked my family like no other and really rocked her world like no other. 
when uh, she did come out, my reaction was, you know what? She accepted me as a kid who had a learning disability. And, you know, I, I accept her as my cousin. I love her as my cousin. I love her as my own. I love her like no other. And you know what? The fact that, you know, she loves women as opposed to guys, that's okay. She, she's loving somebody. She's expressing love. If it were hate, that would be a completely different ball of wax. But I mean, I, I completely understood her. I accepted her. I was so jazzed that she found herself or that she felt like for once she felt like she could be herself. She could express herself, especially since her parents were Catholic. And, um, however, with my family, that wasn't necessarily the case. There are times where they kind of disowned her or tried to like sweep her, the fact that she was, you know, a lesbian under the rug. And um, I just remembered at that time, there was a lot of unfairness and inequality. It wasn't like today, Stargazers, where there's a lot of fairness and inequality when it came to GLBTQ plus communities. If you were deemed as being different in the 90s, you were seen as being like close to dead or being seen as close to garbage, which was a shame. But um, I just remembered the anti-gay, anti-lesbian rhetoric that came out of my colleagues' mouths and that came out of other people's mouths. And for me, I just remember just feeling so, so accosted. It was almost as though you, you were saying this about me because you were saying this about my family member. When you said something like, you know, gay people are freaks or lesbians are freaks, I, I remembered, I felt personally accosted because it's like, you're calling my cousin a freak and my cousin is the sweetest person in the world. My cousin is the strongest person, stronger than any of all y'all put together. And I just remembered as a Gen Y millennial, I started to voice my opinions about the GLBTQ plus communities, even though I'm personally straight. But I, I remember doing that in honor of my cousin to really keep her reputation afloat and really to keep her reputation intact, but also to keep anyone else's reputation like in wonderful high working order and to keep the hate down because there's so much of it. It was, it was amazing. Like how hateful people were in the nineties. It, it was just, it was like scary, but um, unfortunately for us, the sharp side of the sword with the, Pluto Saturn conjunction in Libra was that um, a lot of people in the 90s were not willing to accept our radical viewpoints as a generation. I think as a young child, I also tried to address a lot of inequality between gender because that also affected me and bothered me. You know, women were still seen to be meek and humble while men could do whatever they wanted to. Um, you know, that was still going on. And yet, like I said, as much as I tried to raise it, it's like the, my voice was not being heard or I had a specific way that just really didn't pertain at the time. And, uh, it really just felt like a lot of the times my, just even still, sometimes my voice just doesn't really soar above my own immediate vicinity. And I, I could see the problem where it's where a lot of uh, people such as um, the author of astrologyowl.com would accuse us of having a failure to launch. 
I don't like that term myself because um, I'm a very hardworking person. And I know of a lot of people in my generation who are very, very hardworking as well, too. So no, not a failure to launch, so to speak, but maybe we became rather so with Pluto and Saturn, I could also see the ideals of Libra coming out where we had these ideals of you know, uniting people together, uniting society, really being like the glue for society and for everybody, or trying to be like the glue for society and everybody. That um, really sometimes we got wrapped up in the ideals that we didn't really have that platform to really launch our views and our ideals uh, within life. Of course, to have Uranus and Neptune and Sagittarius didn't help either. Um, you know, with Neptune, or I would just say with Uranus being that of our social, kind of representative of our social platform, our erratic views, our unique views within life. Being within Sagittarius, I mean, we had every sort of ideal imaginable, but where to launch it and how to launch it, kind of like with Sagittarius, it's like, there's a myriad of different ways to launch gender inequality. There's a myriad of different ways to launch and to, you know, mention the inequality between the GLBTQ communities and the straight community, um, and especially the anti-gay and lesbian rhetoric. One thing that I did know that I did that I that I did not fail to launch was that I countered a lot of anti-gay, anti-lesbian um, individuals at school. And set them straight because, like I said, again, of my family, of my, my familial relations. And, um, you know, I, you know, just, it just cut me, you know, because it just, it was so close to home and it cut me to the quick. I couldn't help it. Um, however, again, with, like I said, gender equality or anything else that was going on at that time, really there are like so many different ways we could, we could go about it that we really didn't, you know, it was kind of like, we're so expansive that we really didn't get to it is how it's, it kind of strikes me or that we really couldn't find the means necessary. Also with Uranus and Neptune and Sagittarius, that expansive thinking, as we see with Sagittarius, I remembered in school, what we were encouraged to do was to think expansively, think, you know, beyond, think outside the box, think beyond, you know, whatever you want to do, you can achieve, you can do anything with your life. Well, I mean, that sounds great. And it sounds, and it was really great to grow up with that notion and really great to grow up with free, with free thinking, um, being a part and a staple of our generation. But the biggest drawback was that it didn't really work out too well when we grad when most of us graduated from uh, college in the era of the age of Capricorn. So um, I know I graduated 2010. That's when Pluto was already firmly in Capricorn. Some graduated a little earlier than that, like 2005. Also, the age of Capricorn, and with the age of Capricorn. There's a lot of, I mean, it's, it still exists today. You know, when we, we see the current workforce, there's not a lot of room for expansive thinking and, hey, do whatever you want. And particularly during the recession in 2010, it wasn't do whatever you want. You had to have formidable skills or you did not survive and get a job in this society. So it went from being 
thinking in color, think however and however big and however you'd like to, to black and white, very analytical thinking. And for many of us who were Gen Y or early millennials, it was quite a culture shock for us. It was like, oh, wow, what happened to the free thinking? I guess it no longer exists. Um, however, one thing that uh, we can contribute, Gen Y and early millennials can contribute to the workforce is that that free thinking and free thought definitely can also contribute to creative thinking and creative thought for a business. So, you know, like I said, don't overrule that just because it might be more black and white and less gray in the society. You can still contribute a lot of very profound insights into a company um, and still stay within a company after expressing those profound insights. So that we definitely have some hope for. Um, and that's definitely a very hopeful, nice, you know, nice uptick with that. Other nice upticks with Uranus and Neptune Sagittarius. You know, not only were we idealistic, but with uh, Patrick Wilson Astrology, um, he had mentioned not only the independent thinking, but also that we were free spirits. And such free spirits that we were revolutionizing freedom from organized religion. Now, this was interesting because in the 90s, uh, I remembered growing up around situations with businesses where you know, Starbucks was just starting, believe it or not. And uh, that's where we went from relying solely on making coffee at home and trying to get it right to actually taking and leaving that control to somebody else within the coffee shops. Not only did uh, Starbucks start to make its heyday, but also there were many other independent coffee shops that were just reigning supreme at that time, which was pretty revolutionary. And part of this, you know, free freedom thinking, free spirit and independent thinking right there. Um, also, holistic medicine was starting to become really more popular when really it wasn't in the generation before. We were starting to see more, like in my vicinity, my neck of the woods, I was starting to see more acupuncturists and massage therapists where individuals of that caliber did not exist at all. It was just if you had a problem, you went to go see a doctor, that was it. And what was also interesting was that many of these individuals were actually launching their businesses outside their homes as well, too, or actually inside their homes. So that was also very exciting, new, and innovative. But also what was equally innovative was that the revolutionizing from organized religion. So it's interesting because Gen Xers were embracing born-again Christianity. And earlier generations had also embraced Christianity and Abrahamic, Abrahamic religions. I think the boomers had a little bit of a slice of uh, Eastern philosophy and Eastern religion. But for us, the Gen Y millennials... We were starting to get a lot of new age theories, which really thought way outside Abrahamic religions, way outside the box. Um, with new age came a dive into witchcraft, Wicca, paganism, pagan religions as well too. And also any, anything else that was alternative religion at the time. And that I just remembered that it, it became very, very, very mainstream at that time. And it caused for our generation to question 
really what is the meaning of spirituality? What is the meaning of religion? And not just going from, well, actually, I would just say going from, you know, accepting a religion because everybody else is doing it to accepting a religion that really speaks to us. And that also, I feel, is very encompassed, very much encompassed in the true blue millennials that I will be covering next, but also Gen Z as well, too, the next two generations after me. Um, it was just, you know, again, it just kind of blew up, so to speak. And then with uh, Uranus and Neptune and Sagittarius, so Neptune also rules not only smoke and mirrors, but also drugs. Whereas the boomers, you know, with their Neptune placement, I think, which was in Libra at the time, they experienced LSD and how that kind of got way out of hands and tipped the scales of balance. For us, it was the Prozac Nation and the debates thereof. In fact, I remembered there was a Time article on the Prozac Nation and the pros and cons of people taking Prozac. Uh, many people, you know, so... You know, you look at, you think of Sagittarius, you think of uh, individuals who would like to avoid drama and be happy. Well, that's definitely the whole aim of Prozac. Many individuals wanted to escape the, the agita and the suckiness of the 90s, so they turned to Prozac to lift them up and to make them happy and produce those happy vibes. Um, you know, again, with that big turn in pharmaceuticals, there came the debate of, is this actually good for people to do, or does this produce ill effects on the brain? And I think um, there were also some studies at that time with Prozac with, w will it also possibly affect somebody having early onset dementia, possibly Alzheimer's disease? Now, you'd think that with a generation growing up with the Prozac Nation and growing up with, you know, pharmaceuticals popping up out of the woodwork, that we would embrace pharmaceuticals more than any other generation. And the answer is actually we were just the opposite, you know, Gen Y millennials. Um, we actually looked at how harmful Prozac could be. Um, for some of us, maybe our parents had taken Prozac or something like it and noticed the, how there was an uptick and then there was a crash. And that person was terrible when the, the drug crashed. So instead, we decided to adopt more of an all natural technique. In fact, it was quite interesting in the, you know, as we grew older, as my peers and I grew older and grew into the 2000s, it was actually quite interesting because a lot of us were experiencing anxiety and depression due to 9-11, due to other situations that had, had happened, other political upheavals that had happened. But uh, I, I knew a lot of my peers were like, you know, I'm suffering from depression. I want to alleviate it, but I don't want to turn, I don't want to become a pharmaceutical zombie, you know, so what do I do? And, you know, having that debate ensue, but a lot, like I said, a lot of my peers, as well as myself, a lot of my generation turned to how can we produce happy vibes naturally? How can we cure our ailments naturally? How can we do things you know, an all natural format and avoid those pharmaceutical drugs once and for all, maybe 
avoid the doctor as well too, um, because that's all they prescribe or that's all that they, they give us are the pharmaceuticals. So I thought that that was actually quite interesting. Um, you know, that, and that's kind of interesting with all the generations thus far. It's like, we're kind of, we always turn towards the opposite of what our generational planets tend to reveal about us and the socio-political economic factors that also impact us as well too. I would say that when it comes to Gen Y millennials, what we crave in synastry. So with our, between some of our uh, generational planets being within Sagittarius and the others being in Libra, to have that Libra-Sagittarius combination, we're definitely far more um, idealistic than many. But I think what we crave the most is, you know, having somebody have some, you know, to have patience with us, you know, just because we're not multimillionaires or just because we don't, we don't launch right away or we don't, you know, kind of fly off right away when it comes to our ideas and become instantly uber successful, you know, it's, it doesn't mean that we're losers. I know like generations before me would be very quick to say we were losers. We were, you know, we just had our heads in the clouds and, you know, we, we just, we just evaded life as we knew it. And for many of us, that really wasn't true. And for many of us, it still is not true. We're trying, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, we're dealing with a cultural shock in a way with how we were between how we were, we were raised and schooled and what's going on currently. And it's, it's quite the shock, quite honestly, but uh, to have patience with that. And I think furthermore, to have understanding of that and understanding of our, ourselves and our causes as well too, and maybe helping us kind of launch a bit more, uh, you'll kind of go from the realm of ideas into the realm of practicality. That really means a lot for us as a generation, believe it or not. Also, you know, we're a generation with that Libra influence. We crave relationships and we crave traditional romantic love. I mean, we're as Gen X craved security and, you know, again, that stable family unit we just crave romantic love for the sake of romantic love. And I know that for Gen Xer, that would seem very foreign. Um, but I, it, you know, like I said, again, with that huge Libran connection, that's just kind of where we sit. We, we crave the days of Sir Darcy, Mr. Knightley and Sir Lancelot. So um, definitely I would say trying when it comes to traditional romantic relationships, heck, even Dinner and a movie is so awesome to us. It's such, that's such an awesome notion. Or, you know, having a candlelit dinner on the rooftop. That's such an awesome notion for us. You know, again, having traditional romance available is definitely what we, we crave and what really means the most to us as a generation. Stargazers, have you ever wondered what your synastry chart would actually look like either between you or, and your hubby or you and your spouse or even you and your brother and sister or family member? Well, you guys are in luck. 
if you visit Seventh House Astrology's Patreon page, what you'll get in return is not only a sinistry chart, your, your, your personal sinistry chart with your partners, but also a booklet describing what was going on and how that impacts your relationship when it comes to the planetary alignments and everything, you know, just with everything that's going on in that chart between your two charts. To, in order to order this or in order to um, um, apply for this, become a member on Patreon. It's basically patreon.com forward slash astrology. With that Stargazer's man, press upon you that um, when I have gone personally to metaphysical bookstores, I remembered I had an astrology reading and, you know, here I am, I'm the astrology nerd and I was just comparing notes. But uh, I remembered that with just a transit reading, I paid like $65 for that reading. And that was an hour reading personally. I know for a synastry reading, that actually starts at $125 and moves on up in these, in these institutions. So with that said, I am giving this whole service to you for absolutely free. I just ask that you become a member and support Seventh House Astrology. As a member, you can actually support me and support the show for as little as $5 a month, which I think is really awesome. Check it out on patreon.com forward slash Seventh House Astrology and become a member. Um, you'll support me also in the process, which is an equal perk. And you'll support the lights on here as well as the quality content that's coming out. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash Seventh House Astrology. So getting into the true, what I call the true blue millennials. So with the true blue millennials, these are the babies that were born in 1990 to like 1997. And that's where uh, Pluto had shifted from Libra, you know, the Libran uh, position of my generation to Scorpio. And it was quite a transition. It was quite a shift. Um, what I remember growing up in that era was that the really sexual side of Scorpio really came out when it came to uh, society in general. I remembered within pop culture, especially a lot of actresses were not really counted or credited unless they had a lot of cleavage exposed. And Stargazers, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was like everything from the Golden Globes to the Oscars to television shows. It's like every woman that was presented within pop culture. I mean, it was especially prominent in the boobs. Every every actress who was going to be in the industry and be taken seriously, the more cleavage, the more that more boobage, so to speak, that hung out the more that she was credible. And I, I remembered that raised a lot of discourse and a lot of controversy at that time. You just in that regard, I feel like um, the inciting sort of side of Scorpio kind of came out where it incited a lot of controversy as well. The other thing that I see with the true blue millennials is that there was a lot of getting to the truth you know, so definitely these, uh, definitely millennials, um, the true blue millennials really grew up in a time where 
a lot of people just said, yeah, the 90s, the 90s are unhappy. They suck. I yearn for the 60s. That was the boomers for the Gen Xers. It's like, I yearn for, you know, the the 70s or I yearn for the 60s when I was a very young child or I yearn for the 80s even because there are at least some ideals to cling on to. The 90s, we just, it's just unhappy. It just sucks, you know, and that, you know, a lot of the truths and the, the barbed wire comments would come out when it came to that time. I felt like that was, you know, in comparison and contrast to the 80s where everything was idyllic and golden and kind of glitzy and glamorous, you know, compared, there was a lot of um, dissent and definitely a very, flip side of the coin. But as in the case of true blue millennials from the individuals who I have encountered. So, so from everyone like Emma Watson to, to Timothy Chalamet, um, also to my close acquaintances, like in barbering school, I remembered I actually dealt with a lot of true blue millennials what I saw more than anything um, was that they were really after revealing the truth. And I feel like as a generation, even though they're the generation after me and they had very similar aims in life, I feel like with Truple Millennials, they actually really got to the heart and the core in the BS that was happening you know, within society. And I feel like they still get to the core of the BS that happens in society. And not only do they voice what is BS in society, such as, you know, gender inequality, GLBTQ hatred, um, any sort of hatred, any sort of inequality, not only are they the first to voice it, but I also feel they kind of do something about it. Unlike where with my generation, we were trying to do something about it, but kind of got muddled into the ideals or into the expansive thinking concepts of it. I feel like true blue millennials get it done. They get her done. Uh, whether it's a, you know, championing a social cause or whether it's just they feel something stinks in the workforce. They feel like something stinks in a career. They get to the root of it and they make sure that everybody else knows that, that there's something that stinks or there's something that's really not so great and not so peachy keen as well, too. I also just feel that when it came to Neptune, Uranus, and Saturn and Capricorn, this was definitely a generation where instead of being jealous so like, you know, for instance, when Taylor Swift came onto the scene with me, instead of being jealous of her and shutting down as a Gen Y millennial myself, I really could have just kind of noticed not only my jealousy and keep it in check, but really maybe ask, like say, or really kind of notice what Taylor Swift was doing that was actually very successful and maybe copy that or ask a couple of true blue millennials, what is it that, you know, what can, what do you do to make your dreams bankable and really take some notes on that? Because I really feel, and I still feel I could learn a lot from true blue millennials. And I, I, I try to make sure these days that I really keep my ear out and I really listen to them because they really have some very good ideas 
I would say that with Neptune, Uranus, and Saturn being in Capricorn with Uranus, they definitely have some great ideas in the job market and really bring those out. And um, also, again, I, I see this as a generation where they are also, they, they take their dreams now, unlike my generation where we kind of muddle through our dreams, they take their dreams and they make them a reality. They make it bankable to where they can make it a living as well, too. And again, with Neptune and Saturn and Capricorn, definitely the case. And I feel like with this generation, especially with true blue um, millennials, I feel like they were actually raised with this. You know, they were raised with either um, really jaded boomer parents or even better with Gen X parents who were just seeing the everything that was going on in society within the 90s and just looking at it as too chaotic and too frivolous and imparting and instilling in this generation how to be accountable and how to be practical as well, too. And really, they carried that on, and they share their what they what they grew up with as well too. So, I like I said, definitely a generation who I, I could really learn from um, for sure. But when it comes down to synastry, these are individuals who I think again they could really it really means a lot for them when there are people who can embrace the controversial views, no matter how, you know, so sometimes with millennials, like true blue millennials, they can be come across as being rather rude. I know with my barbering uh, colleagues, they were very big about bringing up religion and politics, even if it was, you know, shunned against, and it, it's, it's something that you just don't do. They did it in order to highlight something that really wasn't working for them or try to really highlight misunderstandings and really try to clear misunderstandings that were kind of subsiding or just kind of um, in, in the woodwork, so to speak, and kind of being insidious a little bit there. So I think, you know, having somebody who can be patient and embrace the contra views, no matter how rude they may seem or no matter how blunt they come across, I think would really mean a lot to triple millennials. Uh, I also mentioned because of that Capricorn vibe, you know, with the fact that they can bank on their dreams with, the, you know, that Neptune and Saturn combination and Capricorn, they have these ideas of how to make their dreams a reality, or they have these ideas and they're just great manifestors when it comes to their dreams. Um, I also thought that people who are practical would be good. Um, people who are open-minded um, would be are really, yeah, I think that's what uh, true blue millennials would really respect and really appreciate. And I also thought to people who are well off, you know, I feel like they could, they could learn from a little bit more from people who are well off, even though they have a lot of great ideas themselves. They probably, you know, kind of take mentorships from people who are well off or people who are very rich and take it from there as well too. But I'd say, yeah, people who are well off, who are successful, possibly, to, you need to phrase it in those sort of terms, but people who are successful, they would really appreciate as well. And also, like I said, people who are open-minded to their views and people who can also, um, you know, learn from their views or admit that they could learn from their views 
I think they would appreciate as well, too. So, stargazers, we're coming up to this last generation, sadly closing the, this big, meaty topic of this episode, but I feel that this is a great generation to end off with, and that is Gen Z. So, with Gen Z, this is where Pluto moved from Scorpio to Sagittarius, and kind of like the Gen Y millennials, my age generation, they uh, had Pluto, you know, with Pluto and Sagittarius, they were very, these are very free-loving, free-thinking individual individuals. Again, the sky's the limit. The political conditions were very interesting. I remembered in the 2000s. So these, Gen Z is usually 1997 to roughly 2005. And what I remembered um, with what Gen Z had to put up with was, especially in the late 90s into the early 2000s, a lot of people, I could tell the Pluto vibe being in Sagittarius, a lot of people were not only becoming very adventurous and very opinionated more than anything, but also edgy and very rebellious. I feel like two things, two phenomena at the time really epitomize what happened with Pluto and Sagittarius. The first being, okay, stargazers, again, can you guess my age? <laughs> uh, Survivor, I actually remembered I did see the very pilot episode of Survivor. It was way back in 2000. And yes, I know, I am so showing my age. I saw the very pilot of Survivor. The reason why I say Survivor and I mentioned this phenomena is that here we are, you know, especially with Sagittarius, where it's all about being free, loving, loving of adventure. Here we are as a nation. Here we are as a society where we're embracing the sharper side of adventure to where it's more about survival and more about being, yeah, being landed in the, the middle of this, you know, deserted island you know, for our very survival, we have to eat fire ants and scorpions and all sorts of other creepy crawly stuff just to survive. And um, I mean, it was a very huge departure from the two generations before that. And it was a huge departure from the two eras before that um, in the regard that there's, like I said, the sharp need for adventure. Also, this was a time where, I mean, Howard Stern was at the helm, heavy metal was at the helm, a lot of sharp rebelliousness was at the helm too. Uh, two of my friends got swept away in the rebellion where it's like, yeah, I'll play in traffic because I'm an individual, gosh darn it, and I have every right to do it. Or I'll jump off this building because, well, I'm feeling in the mood today, you know, and it, it really very little thought to consequences due to actions and really kind of a, a lack of care in the world for future actions as well, too. But for Generation Z, what I would say that Pluto and Sagittarius fosters is, again, really that free thinking mentality, the sky's the limit, and really with the fact that they also have Neptune and Capricorn or Aquarius, 
So, I mean, again, kind of like with uh, the true blue millennials, these are these this uh, particular generation, their fantasies and dreams are not only centered around career, but you know, again, they have a way of manifesting their dreams into reality. Um, their ideal world would be of that of rules, of regulation, of order, or having some sort of substance around around them as well, too, which when they were very, very big time youngsters, that was very, there was very little order going around there. But, you know, moving away from that generation, and now we're getting into Age of Capricorn, they probably embrace the whole idea that there's black and white, that there's some rigid rules, and there are careers that are practical as opposed to careers that are impractical. Or that there's mindsets that are great as opposed to mindsets that just don't work. Also, for those who had Neptune in Aquarius, these are individuals who um, also value freedom to be their own selves and also who embrace humanitarian causes and also really um, having each individual stand out. These last three generations especially, it's all about every individual standing out, being themselves, and not being ashamed of who they are, and really encouraging that more than anything. And I feel, you know, paired with Pluto and Sagittarius, knowing that these individuals feel very free, they're very free-thinking, and they feel very bold at times too, I feel like they have no qualms and they have no fears either in letting people know of an injustice, you know, kind of like actually Zendaya was born in this generation and she was the first one um, to actually hold Juliana Rancic from E! Fashion Police um, accountable for her racist comments on dreadlocks. And I really, I really appreciated Zendaya on this one because I know I was shocked when Juliana Rancic felt like she, you know, since Joan Rivers had died at that time, she felt like she could say whatever she wanted to and have no consequences. And I'm glad that with Zendaya, you know, she actually had a way to call out Juliana Rancic's racism to where E noticed and they fired Rancic in the same year. And I feel like also too, or actually not even feel, I remember Fashion Police was also canceled and I kind of felt it was for the best because uh, especially with Julian Aransic, I mean, that was where Fashion Police, I think, was taking a downturn. Um, but, you know, Generation Z, I really admire them in the regard that they champion those social causes and they bring it out of the woodwork. And they're not afraid to point out what's not working. And as, I, I'm sorry, as Gen Y Millennial, since I had a hard time kind of doing that myself, I really appreciate those who can, who champion the inequality, the unfairness, the injustice in everything. Also, um, these individuals, kind of like the greatest generation, had Uranus and Aquarius or, and Pisces, you know, depending on the individual when they were born. So unlike the greatest generation, uh, Patrick Wilson astrology had pointed out that um, Gen Z had a religion that revered a spaghetti monster in the sky. And uh, it, it like it, it would attack you with spaghetti or I, I think that's that's what it was. But they actually made this this actual religion. 
I think it kind of goes that saying um, that with Uranus and either Aquarius or Pisces, especially with Pisces really reforming religion. And I feel like they, Gen Z really came up with this one. And I just have to say for Gen Z, it's like, you know, I may not understand the whole concept of the spaghetti monster idea, but I feel like I understand the message. And I feel like the message really kind of is, it's kind of uh, a, an answer to the wars between religions, like which, you know, we all, we've always gotten into wars with religions in every generation where we're right. We believe in the Bible. Oh no, we're right. We believe in free thinking. And here's Gen Z who comes along. is like, none of y'all are right. We got a spaghetti monster who's up in the sky. You know, you know, for all that we know, that could be religion. You know, I th- I feel like it, it was kind of like a free critical thinking way of saying, here's religion, you know, how about a spaghetti monster up in the sky? You know, how about, you know, he just attacks us with spaghetti when it comes to inspiration and uh, answers our prayers with spaghetti and it, it makes us happy again. And I just, I, I'm sorry, I just feel like it's kind of a poke to those who, you know, were embroiled in a religious controversy or embroiled in religious um debate over the years as well too maybe that's not the case maybe there were some people in gen z who did believe in a spaghetti monster either way it was it was quite novel when i heard about it i was like what that's interesting that's very interesting um also with uranus too uranus being an aquarius um with the aquarian vibe again very free thinking ideas such as the spaghetti monster ideas and again very radical from the greatest generation i feel like the greatest generation um they were more radical in abrahamic religions than something like the spaghetti monster religion so i I just found that very interesting and i just mentioned too definitely with uh aquarius great awakener vibe not afraid to take on social causes that other generations have shied away from and I just say, just make sure that the causes go through due to the erratic nature of Uranus. Um, Uranus can prompt inspiration, but also can promote boredom. So make sure that whatever cause you champion, you stick with it as well, too. And then last but not least, Saturn at that time was also an Aries. This one was kind of a conundrum for me because it's like here is a stable planet in a very move and head first sign such as Aries. So I would probably say when it comes down to Gen Z, practical ideas. I feel like actually with Gen Z, they don't have a, you know, they don't have any inhibitions when it comes to practical ideas. They, they're able to move forward when it comes to dedication. They're able to move forward kind of like with Aries, whatever ideas they get in their head, they're ready to launch forward and ready to move forward with it. And there's really no shying away and being afraid of what society will think or what other people will think. They just kind of move forward really with their agenda. I feel that when it comes down to synastry, people who value, you know, these are very, very unique individuals. And, you know, unique individuals, but yet individuals who have a great, wonderful, beautiful voice and 
really have a great, wonderful, and beautiful heart. Like, like I mentioned, there's Zendaya, who's in Generation Z. There's also Billie Eilish, who's in Generation Z. And, and her music, too, which can be very beautiful and profound. Her lyrics, especially, very beautiful and profound. But, you know, I feel like in Sinistry, having people who actually value who they are and not dismissing them as being frivolous or being eccentric and out there, just really respecting and valuing who they are, I think would go a long way for this generation. Again, someone like with millennials, the true blue millennials, being open-minded and embracing some of their non-traditional viewpoints. And also, I feel like someone who can equally triumph social causes and unique views or have unique views, but also find ways to help Gen Z foster and really, you know, like, hey, you have a great idea for pointing out a social cause. Here's another idea of how you can champion it, champion these social causes as well, too. I feel like they would appreciate that. Well, Stargazers, this concludes the end of the generations in sinistry, generational sinistry, so to speak. If you guys really liked parts one and parts two and you really identify, please reach out to me. I would really love to hear your input on this one. Um, I really went out on a limb on this one. So really, really uh, reach out to me and uh, give some, you know, give me, give me your input. If anything really stands out to you, I'd really love to know. Um, I found this to be very interesting. Hopefully, the information imparted was very interesting as well. As always, don't be afraid to look up at the star stargazers. There's a lot of nice things going on out there, including the full moon being in Libra right now. That's really helping to champion fairness and love and balance. I'm just... Sorry, my moon was also in Libra when I was born, so I am just vibing with this so well. I love it. But also, again, we have a load of stars that are really very clear and very stark and very prominent in the sky. Also, sometimes it's just great to look up at the sky. We see our, our origins and astrology and just all the way who we are. But above all, stargazers, between now and when I meet with you again next week, be well, and I will see you then. If you have any questions or comments for Sandra Misek, you can contact her at either her email at misek, M-I-S-E-K dot Sandra at gmail.com, at her Instagram page at at Sandra dot Misek, again, that's M-I-S-E-K, and you could also contact her on her Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash 7th House Astrology.